0: If you are willing and able, would you please stand and you can follow along on the screens as I read the scripture passage on which our sermon is based this morning. You can follow along on the screens as I read from Mark two. And this is what it says. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this friends. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to say hi to everyone here on campus. Those joining us online, uh, wherever you're joining us from today. Wonderful to have you with us. Um, before we get to the sermon today, I do want to highlight, and you may not be aware of his name, Alan Williams. Uh, Alan serves as our head of school for Orangewood Christian school. And Alan, as you could imagine this year has dealt with everything under the sun, leading a school through COVID, all the protocols, all the practices, everything they've had to go through. At the same time, he was having to do that. He was also working on his doctorate. I have no possible way of understanding how he was able to do that, but he was working on his doctorate. And this past week, He successfully defended uh, his dissertation and is now Dr. Alan Williams. Uh, Alan was in our first service today, and he would want you to know to please just call him Alan. But for me, for me, would you from now on through all eternity refer to him as Dr. Alan? I would greatly appreciate that. Okay. Uh, If you're new with us today, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, We are in a sermon series called Unseen New Chapter where we are looking at these encounters uh, people had with this man, Jesus, and and their hope for a fresh start, uh, their hope for a new chapter. And maybe you're here kind of saying, you know, in 2021, I could sure go for a fresh start. I could, I could sure go for a new chapter. And the man in our passage was desperately in need of a new chapter. But what we see from our passage is that this man does not realize how truly great his need was. In fact, what we find is this is the first instance from the gospel of Mark where Jesus begins to disrupt uh, the crowds, disrupt the status quo. Um, Up to this point, he has been warmly received by all that have come in contact with him. They they've loved him. They've they've celebrated him. Look at the healings that he's doing. Look at look at the words that he's saying. Look at this man and what he does. Uh, Jesus goes away at one point early on in the gospel, Mark, and uh, he's away in silence with his father. But the the crowds love him so much. His disciples have sought out and said, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Everyone. Uh, Jesus was uh, an A-list celebrity uh, in the first century at this point. But the scene that we're stepping into today, uh, the scene that we find ourselves in is the first time Jesus really gets people upset. Uh, He really begins to agitate people with the things that he says. And honestly, to be completely honest, the things that he said would probably agitate and and stir up people in a modern day city like Orlando. Uh, But if If you're willing, I would, I would really like you to hear Jesus out before you cancel him. I'd really like you to hear him out before you cancel him. How do we get a new chapter? How do we, you and I, how do we get a new chapter in our life? Well, first we have to examine that there is a deeper issue. There's a deeper issue. And this is going to be tough in our modern culture. You see, our modern culture thinks that the real issue is exactly what is happening in this passage—the the, the rhetoric that Jesus is using towards uh, this person. That we think that's the issue. This paralyzed man comes to Jesus, and he thinks the real issue is that he can't walk. But Jesus essentially says to him, "Your legs are not the real issue. There's a deeper issue. It is your sin." And just like the uptight religious folks who are standing around him in this crowd right now, uh, that are questioning and, uh, what Jesus is saying, they're outraged by what Jesus is saying. Any person here listening today, uh, in a modern culture may find themselves bristling a little inside to those words. Uh, Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher. He wrote a book called a secular age. And and in this book, he he rolls out uh, how you and I, we find ourselves living in a secular age. And some of the markers to living in a secular age is what he calls the age of authenticity. The age of authenticity. I must be true uh, to who I am inside. I I have to be true to this this person. I have to set free this this person that's inside of me. Uh, I have to let out my divine spark for the world uh, to see. I, I have to hold on to my truth. Uh, my inner light. Uh, I'm spiritual. I believe in a God or, or forces out there. Um, I, I believe in the universe, but you know, I, I religion, I I don't, I don't believe in dogmas or or doctrine. And what Taylor's saying in his book is that we've left behind this age of authority, that, that there could be an outside voice that speaks into my life. And, and tells me what I should be thinking about the world. This this outside voice we don't want to receive. Uh, we, we, what matters is who I am inside, who I truly am. This 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 divine spark within me. And no one gets to that modern identity, that modern way of thinking. Maybe uh, a very modern way of thinking here in Orlando. No one gets at that. Probably better than Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, the the musical artist, she, she, she pins, I think the anthem uh, to the modern way of life in her song, born this way. This is what she says. There's nothing wrong with loving who you are. I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Uh, Do do you hear it? I'm beautiful in my own way. There's no mistakes, no sin. This is who I am. This is exactly what Taylor is talking about as the age of authenticity. Uh, everyone must do what's best for them. We have our own truth. We, we got we to let out that divine spark for the world to see. I've got to break free from all the bondages out there. There's a free soul inside of me. As another song recently put it, I have, I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. What this is me. This is me. Now, please don't sing. Um, and, uh, you know, if, uh, I, w- I hope you hear me, I, I mean, no guilt by this at all. If, uh, if born this way, or this is me, are your anthems, your ballads, you begin your morning with, I mean, no guilt at all. If you love those songs and you rock out to them every day, I bring them up just to, to get you to see this is the picture of the age of authenticity. This is the world in which we live, the air that we breathe. This is the air of Orlando. I must be who I truly am. But Jesus tells us this morning that is not going to solve the issue. There is a deeper issue. Uh, Because, however amazing that divine spark is inside of you, however amazing that beautiful soul is inside of you that you have to break free, we are all looking for healing just like this paralyzed man. Essentially, Uh, we are all tearing the roof off of some house looking for salvation. These ancient houses uh, in the first century were, were built in such a way that there would be these long wooden beams placed across the top of the house. And then they would place thatch over top of those wooden beams. And then finally they would compound a mud or a clay on top of that, that would settle. And at which point you could walk perfectly on top of those houses. But if you needed to, you could get down on all fours and dig into that house. And that's what we find here in our passage. These guys are tearing through the roof uh, to get inside. You see our man, our paralyzed man in this passage believes if only I could walk, everything in my life would be okay. I would never get upset again. I would never get angry again. I would never compare myself to anyone else again. I'll never complain again. I'll always wake up every morning and be thankful because I got what I was finally searching for. If I could walk again, all of my problems would be solved. Uh, This man has his friends tearing through this house roof as fast as they possibly could go because he believed his problems would all be solved if he could just regain the use of his legs. Uh, Friends, there is some roof you are tearing through that you are opening up in your life and you're looking for healing and you are swearing to yourself. You're promising yourself. If only I could get through, if only I could get this, then all my problems would be solved. Some have torn back the roof of the house. They're looking through and they're looking for, they see if I could just have a spouse, I'm lonely. I feel isolated, especially during COVID. If I could just have a spouse, all my problems would be solved. Uh, others of us we were tearing through the roof of the house. We're, we're looking down. We actually we're married. We see our spouse. We see this wonderful person. We love spending our life with, but, but that person down there just doesn't have the awful habits that my current spouse has. Like that person doesn't snore, uh, that, that, that person like leaves work at work. They don't come home and they're on email or their, their minds taken up with things while they're with the kids. That person cuts it off. Uh, That person down there, they, they don't, they don't gripe and complain about everything. They, they don't make me late for everything under the sun. That person would be amazing. And this is what we find ourselves working through. Oh, that person down there, if I had that, then I'd be healed. Some of us have torn back the roof on our house and we find ourselves like the paralyzed man. We've we've said, oh, if I could just have some healing in my life, if I could just get over this sickness or this chronic issue or this cancer, if I can just get over this. Uh, Others of us, we we look down, we've lost our job. Maybe during COVID we're, we're, we're working through, gosh, if I could just get a job or I could get the promotion that I've been longing for, then all my problems will be solved. I'll feel like I've been healed. Now, these things are not bad things. Please, please hear me. These are not bad things at all. Uh, It's not wrong for this man to want healing because he's a paralyzed man. But there's more going on inside. There's more going on inside. And Jesus loves us too much. He loves us too much to not address the deeper issue. Your sins need to be forgiven. Now, stay with me, and I will work this out a little bit more for us. Uh, as you're tearing back the roof of that house, um, what do you see below? As you're tearing back that roof, what's that down there? You've said, if only I could walk again, if only I had this, then everything would be okay. All my problems would be solved. What's that for you? Uh, If you're saying to yourself, when I finally get this, whatever this is, all my problems will be solved. There's a deeper issue because friends, if we can be honest this morning, if we can be honest this morning, whatever is down there under the roof that we keep saying, "What when I get that, when I get that, then all my problems will be solved. Do we honestly believe that? Do we honestly believe that? You see this paralyzed man, he's saying, oh, oh once I get that, I'll never be unhappy again. I'll never complain again. Really? Really? Friends, I'd give you two months, two months, two months before you begin to gripe again, before you begin to complain again. You see, it really does not solve the issue. There's a deeper issue. And Jesus loves you too much not to address that issue before it makes you miserable. I, I read a story um, from the 1980s by a a journalist named Cynthia Heimel. Uh, Cynthia Heimel is a progressive feminist. She has absolutely no connection to Christianity at all, but she gets the deeper issue. Uh, She's writing in this article. She shares this scathing article uh, about her peers. I'm going to call them her peers. I I would say friends, but when you hear what she has to say, it's very clear. She has a vendetta against these people. Now Uh, these let's put them in air quotes. These three friends uh, uh, who, who had made it to the top, or, or you could say they, they tore through the roof. They saw what they wanted to get, and they got it. Uh, these three friends of hers, they, they got what they were searching for. And Heimel names these three friends in particular, and I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, because she quotes how they have made it, how they got to where they wanted. They were, they were friends. Uh, they were all struggling actors who were while, while, um, waiting on tables, hoping to make it someday. They kept saying to themselves, if only I could get this, if only I could walk again, uh, if, if only I could get the right roles, then everything would be okay. Uh, but Heimel tells us in this article that these people made it. They, they pulled back the roof. They, they said, I, if I can get that, then I will be happy. I will never complain again. That's what I want. And they got it. And once they got hold of it, it made them even more miserable. This is what she says. I pity celebrities. No, I do. The minute a person becomes a celebrity in the same minute, he or she becomes a monster. These celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings with whom you might lunch on a who says you might lunch, (laughs) who talks like that? Uh, You might lunch on a slow Tuesday afternoon, but now, but now they have become supreme beings and their wrath is awful. It's not what they had in mind. These celebrities, she actually names them here full, right? But I'm not going to bring it up, but I just, these celebrities fervently more than any of us wanted fame. They worked, they pushed, they stepped on the other guy's face in their desperate need. The night each of them became famous. They wanted to shriek with relief. Finally, now they were adored invincible magic. The morning after the night, each of them became famous. They wanted to take an overdose. All their fantasies had been realized, yet the reality was still the same. If they were miserable before, they were twice as miserable now, because that giant thing they were striving for that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness had happened, and nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and insufferable. Now, I know what some of you are wondering right now, you're thinking about is Tyler, who were those three celebrities? I am dying to know, and I'm not going to go there. We're just, we're going to leave it, leave it out. But listen to what Heimel's is saying. This progressive feminist who has no connection at all to Christianity, she's inviting us to see maybe for the first time, there is a deeper issue. There's a deeper issue If we keep tearing back the roof, uh, looking for healing in all the wrong places, it will mean we will be miserable. We will be unhappy. We we will feel like we're missing out on the things that we think we really need. But Heimler says worse, worse. You're chasing this thing that has always made you unhappy. You're chasing for this thing that you keep feeling empty. But guess what? If you get it like these three celebrities, you will feel 10 times more miserable. You'll feel 10 times more empty there is a deeper issue. If you were, if, if you've heard the saying, if you were the dog who actually caught the car, have you heard that saying, if you're the dog who caught the car, uh, Heimel says, you'll be more howling and insufferable in the end. If you actually got what you were chasing, you'll be more howling and insufferable. There is a deeper issue friends. And Jesus loves us too much not to bring it up. It is sin. It is sin. Sin, what is it? Sin is basically, we have built our identity on something other than Jesus. Uh, We we have, we have not sought God as we should have. We have, we've spent our lives, uh, tearing back the roof, uh, looking for healing and saying, Oh, once I get this, everything will be okay. The right school, the right job, the right house, whatever that is down there. And, and, you know, sin can be really good things. I mean, look at our passage. We have these religious leaders who are standing around Jesus and they're questioning him about this deeper issue. Uh, they're, they're not, I don't want Jesus's authority over my life. So religion's not the answer either. So where do we go from here? Uh, if we have torn back the roof looking for healing, but have only found that we've become more unhappy in the process because we've been hanging our identity on something else if we've been saying, if only I had this, if only I could walk, everything would be okay. Or worse, or worse, were the dog who caught the car and we feel even more empty. We feel even more miserable than we realized. Because this whole time we thought we were chasing a Ferrari. And then once we caught the car, it was an old rusted through Ford Taurus. And for anyone here who drives a Ford Taurus, I mean, no shame on that. Rachel and I had a Ford Taurus and we loved it, but you get what I'm saying. It's not a Ferrari. It's not the Ferrari. If maybe for the first time this morning, we would be willing to admit there is a deeper issue that Jesus is getting at and that you and I feel, we feel it inside. Where do we go from here? Well, that brings us to our second question. Where is the one place we can turn Where's the one place we can turn? You see, you and I, we are offered solutions all the time about where we can turn. We have all these solutions that come at us and say, oh, try this out. But all they bring us is more condemnation, uh, more judgment, more situations where we feel like we do not measure up. I know it feels like 10 years ago now. But do you remember when we went into the first lockdown last March and last April? I know it feels like 10 years, eternity ago, but it was only last March and last April. And and during that time, everyone was touting you and I, how we could become our better selves during this season. Uh, Work was coming to a grinding halt. Uh, We were at home with our families. We had all these initiatives that we could start um, and take on this new normal, this better life that we could have. We were told uh, it's a new time to get in shape, uh, to take care of yourself, start working out again. I had conversations with people uh, that went like this. Have you gotten a Peloton yet? Have you got a Peloton? Now, if you don't know what a Peloton is, it's the new rage exercise bike. I, I, but that Peloton, you bought it, you got it in your house. And and what's it doing? There's a, there's a thin layer of collected dust on top of that seat. We we, we were going to turn over the new leaf. Others of us, others of us said, you know what, this is, this is going to be a great, I'm going to get on top of my reading again. I've I've put off my reading. I'm going to get, I'm, I'm starting a new book. Uh, I'm going to go to bright light books and buy up all the books. I'm, 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 uh, I, I got a huge stack next to my bed. This is going to be a great new, new chapter in my life. Uh, but what happened? What happened for you? Uh, I can tell you what happened for me, uh, rather than reading all of those books, I spent way too much time getting acquainted with the characters of tiger King on Netflix, phenomenal show, a slice of American humanity. And then when the show wasn't going on and I could have been reading, guess what I was doing? I was, I was on the internet Googling about all the characters on Tiger King. And I actually Googled, did Carol Baskin really do it? That's all I'm going to say. If you know the show, you know exactly what I'm saying. Some of us, we were really excited about this opportunity. We were going to be home with our kids. We're going to have all the kids together. Family in the house together. This is going to be great, all of us together. Oh, it's, it's such bonding time. But then what was it, like two days that we began to say, "The maniacs are taking over the asylum." Uh, where, where do I run? Where do I hide in this house? Others of us said, "Oh, this is going to be a great time for our marriage we're going to be together all this time. It's just all that time together works down, but time bonding is up. I mean, who who can lose that way? Oh, we're going to be together. Our marriage is going to be better than ever. Um, And what did we find? We found, wow, (laughs) it felt more like a thorn than a blessing. See, we have all these things that we kept saying, oh, well, yeah. Why don't you try this out? Why don't you, why don't you try this out for healing? And we are, we're invited to tear back the roof on many houses, promising us salvation. And what we have found is not healing for our souls, but more condemnation, more judgment. I'm not measuring up I'm falling behind once again. But in our passage, we learned there is one place we can turn. This paralyzed man knows that he must turn and come to Jesus for two reasons. First, he knows that he, Jesus has the authority, but what authority? Well, this is what it says in verse 10, the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The deeper issue we must address more than our healing, more than any other thing that we need if only I could walk, if only I was advancing further in my career, if only we could get back to a day where there's no COVID or or mass in church, the deeper issue that you and I need is the forgiveness of our sins. And what we learn is Jesus has the authority to give that. He has the authority to give that. Notice well here Jesus' claims. Uh, Jesus is not claiming just to be a a, a good moral teacher. Um, He's telling you he can forgive this man's sins. Uh, He's not a miracle worker with a few pithy sayings. He's claiming to be God in human flesh. Uh, Many of you may know the story of David and Bathsheba. David um, has sent off Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, to war. And as sending him off to war, he has found Bathsheba beautiful in his eyes. And he says, I must have her. So he sleeps with her and kills, essentially gets Uriah murdered on the battlefield. Uh, It's a situation of, of blatant sin against Uriah and Bathsheba. But notice what David says in his confession in Psalm 51. He says this, against you and you only God against you only god have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment david recognizes his sin he he tore back the roof on this house he sees this beautiful woman bathsheba and he says oh when i have a woman like that when I, when i have a love like that when I, when i get that kind of love everything in my life will be okay but david clearly sought love in all the wrong places. But when he comes to talk about it in his confession, he realized the person he offended the most was God. He offended God. And he says, God is justified. Meaning uh, God is right to judge. God has every right to condemn him. He, he recognizes uh, he needs forgiveness. Jesus is telling this paralyzed man, you need to think like David you need to think like David. I am the son of man. I am God in human flesh. Your deeper issue is not your legs. And if only Jesus can heal them, your deeper issue is that you've sinned against me. And if only I can save you, if only I can redeem you. The deeper issue is whether this paralyzed man knows that he stands under judgment like David, but notice the words of Jesus. Jesus tells this paralyzed man, this wonderful phrase. He says this son, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus declares you have sinned against me, but I am the son of man. I have the authority to forgive you. But how, how can Jesus forgive him? The judgment like David, David said, God, your judgment should fall on me like an anvil. Your, your condemnation should come down on me. I've sinned against you. I have no right to stand in your presence. I stand under judgment. How can you forgive me? How can you possibly, after all that I've done? Well, there's another place we learn about the son of man. The son of man has the authority, the power to forgive. But we also read this about the son of man in the gospel. Mark, and this is what it says. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus tells us, I, I have the authority. I have the authority. Not only do I have the authority, he, he, he loves us too much not to bring up the deeper issue, but he also loves us too much to let the judgment fall on you. Uh, Jesus came to take your place. Uh, he, he, he tells us that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says that the judgment that should have come down on you, the judgment that you rightly deserve because of sin, the judgment that should have come down on you, Father, may that judgment come down on me instead. That the king of all the universe who loved you too much became a servant to take away the sins that stood in the way. Jesus is saying any other place you turn for healing will only give you more condemnation, will only give you more of how you do not measure up but Jesus is the only place you can turn when you fall short and don't measure up. He will forgive you. This is what Tim Keller says. When you turn to other things to save you and never quite get them, you're always angry. You're always empty. But if you do get them, you're even more unhappy. But Jesus says, I'm the only savior that if you get me, will fulfill you. And if you fail me, will forgive you. We'll forgive you. Uh, Jesus tells us he's the only place because he is the only person who has dealt with our deeper issue. Every other place you turn is going to say, you have to measure up. You have to provide the sacrifice. You have to put forth the effort, but there is never enough. We can't, we always will fall short. Even this new chapter of COVID, where we were going to turn over a new leaf, that the Peloton's collecting dust. We're binge watched more shows than we probably should have. But Jesus tells us, no matter how far you feel you have fallen, no matter how far you feel you have fallen this morning, no matter how worthy you feel, I love you too much to be separated from you. Yes, you for all eternity. Friends, your sins are forgiven. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but the news almost sounds too good to be true, too good for what has happened in my life. God, really? You can do this, Tyler, with the addiction that I have, Tyler, with the insecurities that I carry, Tyler, with the secrets that I have held onto, Tyler, the situations going on in my life, my sins, my sins. May you hear this morning the good news from Jesus himself. I have ransomed you. I have redeemed you. I have taken away the judgment for you. Friend, your sins are forgiven. I love the story of Jim Nestigan. Jim is a 6'6 Lutheran beer drinking pastor with the belly to prove it. And Jim is boarding this plane, uh, heading on a coast to coast flight. And as he's getting on, he sees that the person sitting in his row is a man large, much like himself. And so they have to do that compromise of sitting in the seats together. And there's a little bit of overlap one on top of the other, and they get comfortable in their seat and prepared for the long flight. And they begin those obligatory questions of what do you do for your job? And Jim shared, oh, well, I am a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm a preacher of the gospel. And the man next to him proudly said, well, I'm not a believer. And please keep that to yourself. And which Jim said, that's fine. That's fine. We can just talk. Uh, This man began to share with him about his life and how he had served in Vietnam and the things that he had seen and the the stuff that he had been a part of and the things that he had done and he shared with him and just kind of laid all of that in Jim's lap there. And when he had finished, Jim asked this man, uh, have you confessed all the sins that have been troubling you? Uh, this man, he balked back, confessed, confessed, I'm not confessing anything. Jim boomed back. You've been confessing your sins to me this whole flight, and I've been commanded by Jesus that when I hear a confession like that, that I am to hand over the goods, meaning the gospel. I am to hand over the goods and speak a particular word to you. So is there any more sins burdening you this morning? So throw them in there now. To which this man said, no, that's it. But I'm not a believer. I don't have any faith in me. At this point, Jim unbuckles his seatbelt and the six, six behemoth is standing over this man. Now the flight is coming into land. So the flight crew is getting quite distressed that they're about to land. And there's this six, six giant standing up out of his seat. So they're screaming at him, but this man unbuckles, Jim unbuckles his seat and he's standing over this man. This man said, I don't have any faith in me. And Jim's response was, Well, that's quite all right, brother. Jesus says it's what's inside of you that is wrong with this world, and I'm going to speak faith into you. And he proceeded to declare the declaration of good news over that man in the name of Jesus Christ. And by his authority, I declare your sins are forgiven. This man flabbergasted, balked back again. You can't do that. You can't do that. Jim responded, I can, I just did, and I'm going to do it again. Your sins are forgiven. And this man who for years had been burdened by all that he has carried, all that has laid on his shoulders, began to uncontrollably weep. He wept until he began to laugh. He began to laugh from the tarmac to the gate. As the two men were gathering their things out of the overhead bins, Jim hands this man his card. And he says, at some point, you're not going to believe this good news. You're going to forget it. You're going to think it's not for you anymore, that it's too good to be true. And you just call me whenever that day comes. And I'll remind you once again that your sins are forgiven. That man called Jim the next day and every day for the rest of his life until he died. To hear that good news that we all desperately need to hear this morning. Your sins, as hard as it is to believe, your sins are forgiven. This man who called Jim literally every day, one of the things Jim was reminded of that kept coming up was this man would say, it's just too good to be true, but oh, so good. This morning, it is just too good to be true, but true it is, and oh, so good. Oh, so good. Friends, for those willing to take their mat, for those willing to take their heartbreak and their hang ups, for those willing to take their brokenness and their bondage, for anyone who is willing to go to Him, they will hear these great words. As hard as it is to believe, you will hear these words from Him this morning and every day for the rest of your life. You will hear the good news, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Our father, we thank you for this unbelievable good news. This good news that we are longing to hear that speaks to the deeper issue, the forgiveness of our sins. This morning, if we've put our trust in Jesus, we know that he has taken our place. He's accomplished The real healing that we have all desperately been searching for. And so would you allow us to live in that freedom? Father, live in that grace, Holy spirit of what Jesus has done for us so that we could be his people of grace to this world. We pray this in Jesus name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.